the IE Business Podcast, brought to you by the Irish Examiner, in association with PwC, committed to supporting the Southern business community. Hello there, and welcome to the IE Business Podcast, in association with PwC. I'm Koch Cadden and on today's episode, I'm joined by someone whose name you may not know, but if you live in Cork City, you've most likely visited one of his businesses. Ernest Cantlin is the publican and restaurateur behind Sober Lane and co-founder of Kinsale Spirits. Ernest, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Nice to talk again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, in another life, we may actually have been discussing the complexities of the legal framework in Ireland because you actually started out in law and commerce before you went into hospitality. If I'd been a better student, maybe I'd be better (laughs) equipped for those conversations. Yeah. So I have to ask, I mean, what happened? Funny, I was was, just before this, I was on to my brother, uh, who is a a solicitor and a a, a partner in our family business. Um, So my mother father, brother, sister, or all solicitors, even though my mother and father never worked together. My mom had her own career in a different law practice. Um, so it, and funnily enough, then we, all my dad's family and even siblings would be all in uh, doctors and nurses. So, so he kind of did his own thing. And then I suppose I'm doing my own thing too. Um, yeah. I, 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 and I did, I did law as a subject just cause I, I think everyone always assumed that I would do law. So I kind of always assumed it too. And I, wasn't any great rush growing up. I didn't give these big, meaningful questions any great thought. You know, what are you going to do when you grow up? I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I still don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I still know what I'm going to do when I grow up. So I, um, but when I, I, I suppose my uh, dad still, um, I won't give away his age, but he, he turned a, a milestone birthday this year. And um, he still works incredibly hard. That's just because he loves it. And since my brother and sister have joined the business, my mum's retired, but since they've joined it, he adores it even more because I, I think it means there's a, probably a legacy angle for him, and he just enjoys teaching with them, working with them. Um, but I suppose for me, I saw how hard he worked. Not they would be afraid of hard work, but I mean, he spends like twelve hours a day at his desk reading mostly. I mean, and you also see firsthand that, I, I, as well, maybe because of the the barrister system that they have in Ireland and the UK, as opposed to maybe TV dramas that we're more used to. Like there's very little being in court and the the, the, big, the bigger the case, the less likely you are going to, okay, you're going to be in court sitting in the background. And I always found that system would frustrate me a little bit. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say I have any great flair for the dramatic pacing, pacing in front of a jury, but um, I, I so it's really very, academic is the wrong word, but it's intense. And I just know that I wouldn't have that layer of concentration. I probably wouldn't have that layer of intelligence, to be honest with you either, but I definitely wouldn't have that that layer of discipline and concentration to, you know, read a big thick brief and, um, and get stuck in. So I kind of realized probably after college and dipping my tone that that, that wasn't for me. Um, yeah, but it's funny. It, it, I kind of assumed it would be for a while because everybody else assumed it would be. And I think uh, there's, like everybody else, I have good and bad days in what I do and I've chopped and changed a little bit. But I've never really regretted that one because I just never felt I'd be good at it. I, th- I think it's fair to say that you went against the grain in that regard and, you know, followed followed your own yeah. path. But what did your folks say when you turned around and said, actually, I want to go into hospitality and actually, again, I'm going to open my own establishments? Well, it, it's funny. So um, uh, I'm trying to think of like an, a Larry Gogan quote, like a two-parter for two points. Or we're taking the first part of it. So m- my dad went out on his own. So he was self-employed since he was, I don't know, 23 or 24, something like that. And his dad was a um, a GP. So he, I suppose, was self-employed by definition too. And so I think 
it's funny well i i didn't go into the family business i suppose i i definitely became self employed because i come from a self employed household and um and i also see uh you you only so with my wife um her parents weren't self employed and she is not self employed and now i think would ever want to be and her, she's in a very different she's in healthcare but opportunities would have come up to say go out on her own and uh, she just wouldn't see the attraction that and and maybe that's because she sees that it's it's hard work and I, and I see the perks of being an employee and you know there's there's pros and cons and it depends what day of the week you ask I guess but um uh so so for me I guess that I I, I went in the footsteps and being self-employed in that regard I guess um and then um as regards hospitality um I, I only would have been able to ever open my own business or forge that path with with my dad's backing both advice wise financially every other way particularly when I, when I did it so young and, and the actual guaranteeing of a bank loan the the mundane and unexciting, but like unequivocal support that that took from him. So, um, yeah, funnily enough, I, it came down to one conversation. I was I I managed a bar for about a year, so I finished college, spent the guts of your training to be a chef, which I adored, and then um, but realised again, really hard work, and again that solicitor barrister disconnect. I remember I was, you work in a kitchen, you slave over this food. You give it to waiter who drops it to the table, and then he gets all the praise and he gets the tip, and you're in the kitchen looking out the window going. Oh, I see again. I did all the work. So I, I thought, um, same way you script an argument for a barrister, he delivers it and everyone's like, oh, this is great. But the solicitors in the background doing the work. So I, um, I, I managed a bar for a while. And uh, hospitality is a funny one in that everybody knows a bit about it, I guess, because you, you go to a restaurant, you go to a bar. You know what I mean? Unlike maybe other businesses that you wouldn't have those hands on dealings with. Um, and they offered me, um, they owned lots of bars, they had kind of a partnership model where they, you bought 10% or 20% of the business and you were uh, um, an owner-operator. And um, they offered me this deal. I thought it was a great deal. I went to talk to them. So he said, okay, you're going to do 100% of the work for 10% of the profits. I said, well, you put it like that, it's not a great deal. So I said, kind of, do you have a better idea? And um, he said, yeah, why don't you buy your own place? I said, how am I going to do that? He said, I'll support you. And this was 2005 when it was relatively easy to um, lend, to borrow money, particularly when you had a father who was supportive enough or foolish enough or whatever way we look at it to um uh, to guarantee a loan um so th that's what we did uh, and we went shopping and and um, it was at a time when everything in ireland was for sale and being sold really quickly so we couldn't compete um and anytime we went to look at something for sale we were outpriced or it was already sold so i we went around to all the places that weren't for sale but but where i'm calling you now from is my office in sober lane where i've been since then since i was 23 i think and so nearly 18 years in my office upstairs here. And um, it was a place where my dad used to come as a customer. And he said, I, I, I know the guy who owns it. He's a nice guy. And I just don't think he's enjoying it. I think he might like to sell. It was as simple as that. I met him. He said, yeah, I, I would like to sell. I'd like to go and do something else. Um, so that that's kind of where it came about. It wasn't for sale. But And I also think that kind of workaround solution of, of you know, instead of waiting for a place to come for sale, go and ask, probably came from that being self-employed and needing to come up with solutions or finding your own, you know, figuring things out in roundabout ways. So you bought the pub at 23, uh, just before... The look, the bank bought the bank bought the pub. But what I did at 23 was borrowed loads of money. You know what I mean? That's uh, 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 And don't get me wrong, I'm delighted I did. I, I've been my own boss all that time. It's given me a great lifestyle. It's allowed me to do other things. It's made me unemployable because I have all the bad habits and discipline and don't think I could work for somebody else now. Um, definitely wouldn't recommend anybody hires me. Um, but it, I, I don't regret any of it. Um, but it, that, that's what, 
right time in Ireland in the right economy, uh, having somebody steering me in the background or willing to financially back me, that's what facilitates. I interrupted you, sorry, but that's the, I'm just, I, I, I would love to have let you say that and me just nod away, but it just isn't as uh, great as it sounds. Mm. We don't like to give banks any of the credit. For, oh, I'm not sure giving them any of the credit either, because like all you got to do is give all that money back plus interest. But um, yeah, well, you, yeah. you said uh, that you opened uh, the pub there when it was, you know, it was a good economy. Um, it was the right, pl- right price, right time. But then you had to navigate it through a recession shortly after. Yeah. Then years later, inflation hits, COVID happens, you know. Uh, yeah. Can you compare the two crises and how they were, how, how to operate I, in them? Yeah, they, they were totally different, right? Um, and because it, I think now 2008 looks like a, oh my God, Bear Stearns and, and these things happen. But it, it wasn't like that here. We were, you know, there was a whole time lag and it slowly unfolded and you didn't know when the bottom was. And so we bought in 2005. It's funny, we thought we got a great deal. If I probably would have bought it for a fraction of the price in, in 2009. Those are people who know Soberlane Electric, I paid roughly the same amount for them. And, and Electric, I would thought on papers, whatever, but as a business, Soberlane thankfully is, is a thriving business as well. So it's probably more valuable than the building. But um, electric is a much bigger, more high-profile, you know, uh, kind of landmark building. But I bought them in 2009, so, bo- you know, bottom of the market. But with um, 2005, we opened in 2006. We were really only just getting going in 2008. So um, I, I I, kind of, we didn't really take advantage or, or catch that Celtic Tiger post. So we didn't miss it either. So our turnover went up 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009. We're still business building. And we... Not necessarily by design. I had worked um, for a summer in Boston as a student in a bar. And um, so this sounds crazy now, but we were the first bar in Cork to do pizzas and serve pitches of beer. So you know, in fairness, pitches of beer were probably in place like Westheimers, but it wasn't really a done thing. And, and nowhere was serving pizzas. A lot of bars weren't serving food or they were just serving lunches. We started serving evening food and, and um, pizzas. With, now every bar serves really pizzas. With the result that, that two years ago, Soberlane stopped doing them because everyone else was doing them. But um, that. So it's hard to say that that's innovation, but it, it was quite different at the time. But it, it also meant that we were quite recession friendly. So people who used to go to restaurants suddenly started eating in pubs. Pizza is really good food to share. I think when we opened the margarita pizza was nine quid or something like that. So we were at that right price point um, for, for a recession, I guess. Um, and the other thing is that there was lots of going away parties, unfortunately, but to to um to the likes of Australia. So we, we caught lots of those. And I think we did kind of a, uh, you know, we did free food, I think, for having a going away party. And we we didn't realize that people would be going away for as long as they ended up going away for And some of them are still away. But I think we said, have a going away party with us and we'll give you a comeback party for free or something like that. There was some social media buzz. This is probably going back to Bebo or maybe maybe start Facebook. Um, but so there's, I suppose what I'm saying is that there's always an opportunity. And also we, we go back. So it, I remember the only the only stressful day I had was the day we before we opened. And it was realizing that it was the first time in my life that I couldn't say, you know, I'd been on sports teams and the training got too hard. I could say, okay, I'm out. Or if I fail an exam, I could reset river. But when you when you borrow lots of money, and when it's guaranteed by somebody else, there there kind of really is no out because the, there was nobody going to buy Soberlane in 2000. Whatever about when I did in 2006, there was nobody buying anything in 2009. Or if there was, it was, you know, vulture sale stuff. So um, I kind of realized, okay, I'm, for better or for worse, I have to make this work. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good motivation, but um, it's funny. It's a 
it's a fairly good stick to. You know what I mean? Like it's a uh, uh, pressure is no bad thing, I guess. But um, it, it, I suppose it worked. But I just had to make it work. So we kept trying different things, and we tried. It's Soberlin when it opened first was a late bar, and the idea was to really concentrate on that. And that that is very much not not. We we totally we were planning a lot of live music, and we changed direction totally. So there's lots of things that didn't work, but the main parts of it did. Um, and we just happened to have a recession friendly model, I think. Right. So maybe, luck, maybe. And then uh, fast forward to today, then huge different headwinds uh, coming at the hospitality different uh, yeah. hospitality industry in terms of inflation, soaring prices, uh, cost of living, people not going out. And then the pent up demand that was experienced after COVID, that's kind of lagging a bit now. So how are you navigating that? So it's funny, COVID was funny because it... Um, it was a stressful two weeks and then when the whole world shut down, you're like, okay, well, if we all fail together, we all fail. Or I think we kind of realised quickly enough that um, you, you don't really worry when it happens everyone because we maybe say we can't all fail, but we, um, what's going to happen is going to happen to all of us. So it's kind of a comfort in that. So I, if I, and, and also I, I had just had our, I think our second child, um, uh, I sound like I delivered the, the baby. I very much didn't, but um uh, a second of three sons was born so it actually was a really nice time to be at home selfishly for those two months three months I remember it was really good weather and I'm sure we chatted at some stage uh, during it but um, so it wasn't and it um, so, and then also there was a time it was a time of innovation and trying different things and it was a bit of a free go and the government supports were reasonably good this is a little bit different in that I think it's hitting hospitality more than any other section so we're kind of out on our own a little bit and I'm sure maybe that's not the case I'm sure other sectors are feeling it too but it, it's a bit of a perfect storm for hospitality. So that is a bit unusual because, for example, with the, the VAT rate and stuff, it's, it's because I think the rest of the economy is doing reasonably well, it's going to be hard for us to keep the 9%. Um, whereas genuinely, and not to make this a, a pitch for it, but I think we need it more than ever. And I think, look, every sector needs those supports. And I get why it's a top sell again. But um, uh, Are you, are you it, ever... It, are you ever looking at Dublin and the prices they're charging and the sentiment that comes out of that when people are calling for the 9% fat rate? You know, it's hard to argue that when you're looking at hotels and other hospitality players charging it, ludicrous prices. There's, there's two sides to that. One, I think that um, knowing that so most of the politicians live in Dublin are based there. So they're and it's probably where they socialise. So they're exposed to that and they also see it being very busy. The flip side I would say is that I've had a, a business in Dublin and I, the, the cost of doing business there is really expensive. And it was no, it was no picnic. So I am, I, um, what did they say? Uh, all that glitters isn't gold. And Faraway Hills aren't so green. Um, and I think that you have this golden mile, which is you have some legacy business that are doing really well for a long time. But it's so expensive to buy a premise and operate a premise in Dublin. And this, we think about this space in the middle, you know, Dublin 2 and maybe some Dublin 1. But there's, there's lots of other neighborhoods there that aren't having such a good time and are having all the pressures that we're having. And I'd say I'm guessing it's really hard to get staff in Dublin. I, it's for me, I, I we we don't really feel that staff pinch maybe. Uh, um, so 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 they're having some issues maybe that we're, we're not. Um, but I, I do get that that frustration. It's not a like for like comparison certainly. Um, uh, yeah, I, but th there are the, the food. One of the biggest things probably because customers didn't see it directly, um, and we've quite food centric businesses. Um, the spike in food prices was crazy. You know, it uh, things like chicken breasts, Soberlane, the business is built on chicken goujons. That doesn't sound very glamorous, but that is what we do. I'm confident that they're the best goujons in the world, and uh, you got to try them, I'm sure you have, right? That's my little sales pitch out of the way. 
But when when your like core ingredient is chicken breast and the price of chicken breast doubles over the space of about three months, mm-hmm. like that is a big thing. So if we if we'd stuck to our thing, we'd have been charging like fifteen quid for a portion of. I'm, I'm gonna like I'll regret this, but like glorified chicken nuggets, right? We make them ourselves. They've got all the secret spices. They're great, but ultimately that's what you're competing with. You know the McDonald's ones or the, the other ones, and um, so it, you say, okay, we take this margin, but it's one of your biggest selling items. Like then suddenly your business cogs don't really work anymore, and staff are looking for more money because their rent is going up. And but but chicken prices did come down, and, and invariably these things that spiked energy costs they have come back down nowhere near where they were. But and you you say, okay, well maybe maybe we're overly dependent on chicken breasts let's concentrate on our vegan options and let's review our why we're not selling more beef burgers and you just figure it out because you have to because i said you you just you've no other solution that's it you just got to make it work um as you said there the the economic environment has settled a good bit now in in recent months but it's still quite volatile for players like yourselves did that um lead you down the path of selling electric which i know is big news for you recently yeah so it's so uh, again, I look at another two part. One is one advantage to this current state headwinds we have is that I still think there's lots of money out there. So while people are under pressure, they're still earning good wages. Most people have jobs. There's jobs to be got. I think that even it's I find it loosening up a little bit already. People get nervous. They got nervous after those big gas bills, but people get bored. They still go out. They make adjustments. Maybe they cancel the Sky Sports subscription, but it's very hard not to go out for your birthday. It's very hard not to go out when you're on summer holidays. It's, so so for me, while our behind the scenes things are challenging there is money out there and it's up to me to make a more compelling appealing offering than the next guy it's a bit different to 2008 when nobody had money you're saying oh my god like that's we're all just sitting at home that's a bit different our covid and we can't go out at least now there is money out there it may be a bit harder to do it but that's up that's within my control to track customers in so with electric um yeah it's, it's so electric is a funny one i'm there 13 years we've had a, a really a good ride it's been a bit of a roller coaster in that we bought it to be a nightclub um with some really good business partners who exited along the way on very good terms um we were um probably went from pivoted from looking to be a nightclub to opening as quite a high-end restaurant then became more of a mainstream restaurant uh, we were late bar one stage then we were open doing breakfast lunch and dinner now we're just open the evenings uh, we've had covid and, and and again we bought electric in 2009 when nobody was buying anything since somebody's the auction to bid that was the only bid so like again we came away like again okay and i've been an auction before once you've been it's accepted that's it like you you own the building out of paper so that that's been its own journey an extremely enjoyable one because as i have got older so I was 23 and 41 now a restaurant while it is hard is a very social business because you get to know your customers a bit better neither sober lane or electric or other bars that i've had over the years have been regular bars and what i mean by that is that you haven't had the same guy come in for his three points after work every day and you get to know him really well we have regulars but they're people we'd salute and how's it going i haven't seen in a while you're still playing for that team they're more kind of these micro relationships but with a restaurant you really like chat to somebody and you for me it's very personal rewarding when it goes right to give them a meal and see them enjoy it and they compliment on somebody's birthday and they're celebrating and that like they've chosen to get engaged in your restaurant with that well, not, I don't want this, this podcast to go for a little while. There's somebody proposing an electric this weekend. So hopefully that will now be an engaged couple by the time somebody listens to this. So they're really nice things to be part of. You know what I mean? We've had we've had weddings there. We've had staff members, including myself, who met my wife there. Um, a re- so a restaurant is a really nice business. And I can see why how people get sucked into it because it, it doesn't have the late night as such as much as a 
it's not it's not the same hard work that a bar is. It's not the physical hard work. Um, it's a different hard work, and it's really hard to make money. But it's um it's a really nice uh, business. So Electric had the best of both of that. It had a bar and a restaurant, and it had a nice outside area. So when the sun was there, you were outside in the sun. Even if you're collecting glass and serving people, you still were outside, which is nice. So yeah, it's been a, an interesting, um, very different sober lane. All I've heard there was an outpouring of love for the place, but now you're selling it. So well, how did you come to that decision? So th- that was a real gradual process. So my, my wife uh, is very much my business partner and life partner, but also isn't in that, isn't in hospitality. So she's got a good objective thing. So, so sober lane doesn't take a whole lot of work from me. It takes lots of work from our team, but it's a real steady business. It's a mature business. Um, what we did, to, to me, what we opened to what we do now feels very different. But really, we've been, you know, Chikuja has been our best-selling uh, item for the last 15 years. We've For the last 17 years, we've had a table quiz every Tuesday. We've motion on a Sunday. People come to our sport. It hasn't changed that much. Our age profile has got a bit bigger, but it's still a place that people, you could come in in a rugby jersey and there would be no issues there. You could come in the suit and you wouldn't feel totally overdressed. You know, it's kind of a all people, all ages, everybody welcome. Electric is more formal, higher expectation, higher spend. So you've got to, you know, really uh, deliver less room for, for error. Um, it's it's more staff. It's more um, there's more moving parts. It's a bar and a restaurant. In, and uh, at one time it was two restaurants and a bar and one building. Um, and it's also, even though it's like 100 yards away, it's it's in town. So you get that uh, variability of, you know, people who have had too much to drink. Uh, we have lots of issues that happen in the park, which are nothing to do with us. Um, but in the same breath, like if somebody jumps in the river, you're not going to say, um, were they a customer? Like you're going to say, okay, quick, who, who can swim? Let's throw in a life boy, you know, call an ambulance. We've been through all those things. So more things happen there. And um, definitely it's 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 a part of, so, so 2019, um, we were there maybe 10 years. We thought about it. Somebody approached us. We had that conversation. Then COVID happened. So we said, okay, all bets are off. The conversation again happened during COVID, but um, we thought that probably just wasn't the right time. And it kind of felt like we'd unfinished business. I didn't want to go out like that. We tried to pivot to an Asian offering, which broke my heart. I loved it. It was a good experience, but it just did not, we could not crack it. Um, and it's kind of, it's something I always felt I had, to, I wanted to try because I like those style of restaurants. But anyway, so that, then I knew I needed to fix it and put it back to what it was, which it is now. So I needed to get it ready to sell. So I've, I've had all that time to uh, grieve is the wrong word, but like accept that um, uh, it's time to move on. And then, as I looked earlier, so I have three small boys. Uh, I have a spirits business. We, we can chat about in a second if you want. That is that I fall in love with in a different way. Both the working conditions; it's kind of nine to five ish, but also it's um, it's really interesting and it's engaging. And I can see myself doing that as I get older, rather than the two in the mornings and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I definitely haven't fallen out of love of hospitality because I, I Sober Lane is like my right arm. Um, but a, a, a restaurant and a place the size of electric isn't something that you can half run. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need to be um, really on it because that's what people expect, particularly if you're charging them, you know, electric is probably 40 or 50 or 60 euros of 20 what you want to drink. So you, you need to be top of your game all the time. Right. Um, and uh, I just think that, especially, I, you, I know you know Cork quite well, we have an event centre coming, which makes it a good time for me to sell as well, as in lots of interest from potential buyers, but that in its own way will create its own levels of pressure. So 
if you know any of the places that are near, say, Grand Canal Dock, they're packed at six o'clock, but you got to go. All these people have got to be like in their seats for quarter to eight. You got to have, have them out the door by half seven. Um, so that's a whole. So for me, I'm saying, okay, we are the move on now, or we hang on for three to five years, hang around for all the inevitable event center uh, delays, our own little mini version of the Children's Hospital watch it get delayed and kick out the opening, and then re rebuild the business to take advantage of that opportunity. So I'm saying it's either now or another five years, and I, I think now is the time. Right. And I definitely, as you say, I want to touch on Conceal Spirits. But before I get on to that, you mentioned your three small boys there. And earlier, you know, your father had the security of a successive line for his firm. Would you like your children to get into hospitality, especially now that it's becoming increasingly more difficult with big players like Weatherspoons and more domestic players like Press Up just gobbling up the market in places? Yeah, it's it's a funny one, right? That I'm so, so there's some days when I have challenging days in work when I would say I, w- I wouldn't wish self-employment on anyone. I think that um, being self-employed is a bigger thing than what you actually do. Because you can open your own hotel or you can be a general manager of a hotel or whatever role, a chef. You can, you can be very successful and very satisfied either way. And it depends on um, uh, what hands you're dealt in life and your access to those opportunities, your uh, aptitude for risk and all those different things. Um, but for me, it's a bit um, ironic. It's the wrong word, but I wouldn't change anything about my own journey. I've really loved it. It's given me a great life. It's definitely had its challenges, but it's had, it's been really enjoyable, really exciting. Been able to indulge myself. You know, decided for better force to change electric to an Asian restaurant because I always wanted to run one, and off we went. You know, and whether it was a good idea or a bad idea, in hindsight, it was a bad idea. I can tell you that, guy. Um, I'm still glad I did it, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, so I. So it's self-employed work for me. So being self-employed work for me, and it works for my dad. My brother and sister have gone down that road, granted into a family business, but still very much self-employed. Are you looking at your yeah. kids, going, "Oh, I don't know if this life would I want to pass it on"? You see, I yeah, but it's given me a great life. You know what I mean? I I, I would say from a it can go either way, right? And and I I've been lucky in business, but I'd say if if a business fails. And I'm, I'm lucky I haven't really had that happen. I've had all degrees of success and, and unsuccess, but I haven't ever had a, a you know, a end of the world, something didn't work and went bankrupt crack. I'd say that's that's a really tough one to come back from. You know what I mean? Uh, I've always been ju- spinning a few plates and one or two of them may have broken, but I've had more winners than losers. And I would say if it all comes crashing down, like maybe if I'd been a few years older and further into my career in 2008, that may well have happened to me. And, um, I'd say that's all strong. Whereas if you're an employee, you lose your job, which is, I'd say is very stressful. And, um, uh, but you can go get another one. And, and, and that's the, the naivety of somebody self-employed that gets that easy. I'm sure there's lots of frustrations and challenges, whereas at least being self-employed, you're master of your own destiny. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think that what I would like to think I would do is support them in whatever they would like to do, which is what happened to me. And I know that my wife, would not be a massive advocate for being self-employed. So I know that they're going to get a balanced uh, argument. And if they have any sense, which I think they do, they will listen to her far more than me because uh, she's very much the brains of the operation. So I think they'll be steered in the right direction, whatever whatever it is for them. Right. Um, and we'll move on to Kinsale Spirits yeah. now. And Sorry, some... I, I didn't mean to give you a, a, a political answer on that because I, I don't, I genuinely love, like I'm re- I was saying, I'm really going to miss running a restaurant. Um, and we look, we serve food in Soberlin and I'm really proud of the food we serve, but it's different to uh, an out and out restaurant. So I'm like, I, um, 
I have loved and still love it. I was in our restaurant last night um, and I was chatting to people who I had seen this before COVID and I was really delighted that they came back and they said, sorry, we didn't come in to try the Asian. We're just not into Asian food. But as soon as we heard that you changed back, we were in and it was really nice. I said, I'm going to miss this. You know what I mean? But in the same breath, my wife was at home sitting on the couch. Sorry, I'm sure she was doing something, but I was thinking, I wouldn't mind sitting on the couch myself tonight. You know what I mean? So mm. I, it, it, you, you could ask me 15 minutes later and get a different answer. But I... I, I, I I unequivocally wouldn't say to them, avoid hospitality and avoid what you do, because it has given me a great life and I hope is giving them a good life in, in every sense, financially, job satisfaction, all that kind of stuff. And um, you can do so much of it, particularly the food side of it. You know, it's a skill set. You can play anywhere in the world. It's great for traveling, whatever else. I think it will always be hard. Look, I'm sure being a journalist isn't that easy either. You know what I mean? I think that any job is hard, especially if you're going to be good at it. You know, it, it makes it's really hard. So, um, sorry, I just felt a... I uh, I just I couldn't in good conscience kind of give hospitality a bashing because it's been good to me and I just genuinely like it and I like the people who do it. Yeah. That's absolutely fair. Um, but you're also in uh, another arm of hospitality, uh, which yeah. is Tinsel Spirits, and I've always found this quite interesting about you, Ernest, because we've talked about this before. You don't drink, and I don't drink. Yeah, yeah. Well, and... I, I used to drink and quite a lot. So I I, I suppose I, I I give the caveat of um. Uh, I, I I shouldn't drink, and I and I don't. Uh, so I've drank for very little of the last near twenty years, and I haven't drank it all for the last ten. Um, so I'm, it's something I'm either not very good at, or very or too good at, depending on what what attitude you want to have. Just but um. So you've gone into you've gone into the spirits industry now, after as well as the pub industry. So tell me a bit about that and why you decided to actually make the products that you're selling. Yeah, it's funny that that alcohol one is one that I'm I'm sure if I was on a. Uh, a couch, uh, a shrinks couch that they would have a field day with. Uh, and I've, I've, for, um, I was a, a, a director of the Simon community for um, uh, maybe seven years until about a year ago. I, I greatly enjoyed it. Um, but obviously, it, you see, there's a lot of exposure, to, not, not that homelessness is synonymous with addiction, but there is a lot of crossover there. And um, I, I don't know, at the back of my head, maybe did I feel I'm trying to balance the scales in the background where I'm selling alcohol here and trying to maybe help somewhere else. It isn't that transactional at all. But I do, um, I am, uh, I love the alcohol business. I love, uh, I loved drinking. It's on me that I can't do it responsibly. But I love the uh, the fun people have around alcohol. And I, if you said to me, um, would you like to go out to dinner tonight? Who's going yet? And I'd say, it's 10 people not drinking. I'd much prefer to go to the party of, at least half of them are drinking because I think that's the best way to socialize and have fun. Just means that, just means that I shouldn't be the one drinking. But I am. Um, uh, it, it does make for interesting conversations, and it, it is it, uh, the alcohol industry is still reasonably old fashioned, for, for better or for worse. And um, I think that, and in the bigger markets like the US, it, it definitely is, and it definitely is a disadvantage to me not being able to to go out and socialize with customers in that way, I think. Yeah. Would you say, though, that it's it's getting better, that, you know, the non-alcoholic drinks are, are booming? And is that something you can see can sell spirits going? Sure. Um, but I suppose our, our products are very much alcoholic. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and Irish whiskey is a traditional drink. So um, so the um, and the, the people who we were, the buyers, you know, that we're trying to deliver to in, in U.S. chains and things like that are, are tend to be people who drink. Um, so it, it it's great to be able to um you know take them out for dinner Just like business still happens the old fashioned way you know you get to know people and build a relationship and and have a few drinks um so that's that is a a, a weapon I'm missing from my arsenal personally but in the same way, I have great business partners um 
who who enjoy that part of it and are good at it. You know, um, I actually do enjoy. Um, so I'm in Kinsale tomorrow night. Um, taking um, some people who do some business out for dinner, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and they'll be having lots of drinks, and I'll be quite happy to be there with them. Um, uh, but um, it so it, it is. It's part and parcel of it. Um, and but it, I suppose it probably would be as good an evening if if they weren't drinking either. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it's really interesting as well that, you know, Tinsale Spirits really uh, got successful during during the pandemic because of the distillery boom that we saw across Ireland. But you and your two friends set it up um, quite a few years before COVID hit Ireland. Um, so how are you dealing with that competition that just exploded out of nowhere in 2020 and has still kept going? Yeah, so it's, it's funny. Um, I Our... Our focus probably was on Ireland for too long, and uh, there are some quite big Irish drinks brands that you wouldn't even have heard of because they just don't play in the space at all. Because Ireland is a small market and it's uber competitive, so um, it's been very good to us, particularly with Kinsale Gin. We have a relationship with Super Value that is really rewarding for us, and I hope for them too. And it's it pays the bills, and is it's very interesting, and it's been a great. Like I, I feel. Um, running that business in Ireland has been my equivalent of an MBA or whatever that uh, equivalent uh, um, qualification would be. Because sometimes I kind of have a bit of a grot to do something like that in the same breath. I'm saying, well, did, for me, maybe that re- real life experience was that. Um, but um, it, it can feel a bit concentrated in Ireland. But, uh, so Irish whiskey, the big advantage that it has is that GI protection, it can only come from Ireland. But it's a big world out there. So so Colin, um, my business partner, one of them, I have two Colin and Tom. Colin is in um, LA this week for the last 10 days. And uh, while it's very much an international city, there's, there's savage demand for Irish whiskey there. Really happy to have a brand that they maybe haven't uh, heard of before or isn't widely available or we can offer exclusivity or they'll be the only bar in the neighborhood to have it or do a deal with a certain distributor there. So it's no pun intended, but it's very far from saturated out there. So um, not to get boring with stats, but Irish whiskey has doubled in volume since 2010 and it will double in volume again by 2030. And we're still only about one sixth of the size of Scotch, which is still a growing market. So I think that it's got plenty of legs. Uh, I think gin, gin is a little bit different. I think that gin is uh, cyclical. Um, but I, again, like our gin sales are still growing in Ireland as well as export. Um, but I, but if you'd ask me what I say, would I launch a gin brand in Ireland now? I would say no, that market is there is enough brands out there competing. Um, but in, in the same sense I, sense, I think that um, there's a really big opportunity for um, origin in the US. You know what I mean? So uh, um, so it just depends on the time. And that that is what I like about that business versus, say, electric. With electric, um, I remember um, we had, uh, um, remember that Occupy Wall Street uh, mm-hmm. movement. So there was Park Next Electric, which is usually our biggest asset, but guys set up in tents, um, Occupy Cork, a good personal relationship with them. They just come in and use the toilets, just give them hot water for their things, whatever else. They're very polite guys who ran it. But in the same breath, people, you know, they, were, um, they weren't they were protesting us. They were protesting Wall Street or whatever. And and Electric would have been a place where a lot of business meetings happened. So these people started going around. So it had quite a detrimental effect on business. But I, I couldn't move Electric. Similarly, times there's been roadworks outside. So at least with, with this business, we we feel that um, okay, would I would I launch another gin in Ireland? No, but we can try and sell our gin in other markets, or we can release other pro- things, or we can change our price, or change our marketing. You have greater um, flexibility, um, and 
a greater, um, you know, more options. And I, I liked that. Um, I saw that with a, a really good pub in Dublin. They, they, they were doing building the Lewis outside and it went on for two years and it really killed the business. And it was just completely outside the business's control. That's massively frustrating. Whereas at least with an export business like that, you can uh, change. So for example, in two, whatever, two weeks, I'm going to Nigeria for a week. So I'll probably have been and back by the time somebody listens to this. My first time there, it is the, uh, Nigeria is the 10th biggest market for Irish whiskey. And I think South Africa is the fifth. Um, so Africa as a whole is a really exciting place for that. So like, it's going to be a long time before Sober Lane is selling gift vouchers or chicken goujons in uh, Nigeria, right? Um, but we're already selling whiskey there. And that's a, so for me, that's really exciting. Maybe I'd make more money in life would be more straightforward if I concentrate on selling goujons and Sullivan's Key in Cork. But the idea of going to a place like that and trying to sell our product really excites me. So um, that kind of is a maybe a good example of what. And look, look, don't get me wrong. There's lots of less interesting days, uh, but um, you know, they're interesting in their own ways, though. Yeah. Well, finally, I so it seems that places like Nigeria interest you more than places like Dublin. You can't see yourself opening another pub yeah. <laughs> or trying to branch into that market again anytime soon. <laughs> No, I think I think I have um, I've scratched that itch. Um, Faraway hills aren't always so green, and also um, uh, I'll be in Nigeria for five days. Like I moved to Dublin for a year, you know what I mean? And and obviously, uh, kids and stuff change change the that nomadic ability. Some people make it work, but for me, I'm a home bird, and I I I love Cork. You know what I mean? So I'm only talking about exports, whatever, and I love Cork. Uh, so um, so that will always be home. Yeah. Right. Well, Ernest, thank you so much for talking to me today and thank you to everyone who listened. Join me for another episode of the IE Business Podcast next week. The IE Business Podcast brought to you by the Irish Examiner in association with PwC, committed to supporting the Southern business community.